So Lord, have your way in Tam and in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Tam, over to you. Yeah, I'm muted. <laughs> I can work this thing. <laughs> Thank you. Whoa, that was already incredibly rich, wasn't it? Just the stuff we've heard so far has just been full of God content. Just again and again and again. And it just, to me, shows that he just wants to speak to us without ceasing. But also that each and every one of us hears the words of God. There's none amongst us that don't. And I love that. Absolutely love that. That this is a church coming together because we've heard that call on our lives. Back to the passage. <laughs> Mark 12, uh, 1 to 12. And in mine, it's called the story of the evil farmers. Then Jesus began telling them stories. A man planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At grape picking time, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant beat him up and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they beat him over the head and treated him shamefully. The next servant he sent was killed. Others who were sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son whom he dearly loved. The owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked? I'll tell you, he will come and he will kill them all and lease the vineyard back to others. Didn't you ever read in this, this in the scriptures? The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous to see. The Jewish leaders wanted to arrest him for using this illustration because he realised they were pointing, he was pointing at them, and they were wicked farmers in the story. They were afraid to touch him because of the crowds. So they left him and went away. And I think, I just feel like at the moment, it's like, let's just settle. We've just heard the word of God. We've had an incredible time, but now we've heard the word of God as well. And it's just adding into the story that God is telling us today. So let's for two seconds, let's just let our spirits settle and absorb everything that he's already spoken to us about. That breathing in, that breathing out. And our spirits are settled. So why am I so excited about this passage of scripture? Especially when it's called, the title is, The Evil Farmers. Why is this exciting? Over the past few years, there's been a real emphasis and a real major move of God amongst us to introduce him back to his love love of the Father, that we were loved before we were even born. 
in Isaiah 49, 1-2, it says, The Lord called me before my birth from within the womb. He called me by name. He called you by name. That's how much he loves you. He calls you by name before you're born. We are incredibly loved. So much so that he sent his son to die for us, to then be raised, to ascend. And then his spirit is filling us. We are loved beyond measure. Whoa, loved beyond measure. And that's absolutely key to whatever we do. We love and then we love again and again and again. And we love because we know that we are first loved. But, and this is a big but, in the midst of that, we need to remember that we are a radical, revolutionary faith that is called to create atmospheres, change atmospheres, change situations. We are called to change a world, a whole world, not just a small part of a world, but a whole world. And that requires of us to make choices. That requires of us to make decisions. And that is partly what this whole parable is about. The choices that were made and then living in the consequences of those choices that we're making now. This isn't just about then. This is about the choices that we are making now. And that's why this passage is relevant for now. So the first choice that we're called to make, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died, rose again and then ascended so that we could fully enter into this kingdom? Do you believe that you are reconciled with the Father, the Spirit living within you? Do you believe? That's one of the first major choices that's asked of us. Do you believe? And I love the fact that in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, if you believe, then you now have the mind of Christ for making the choices and the decisions that you are making. Wow. You let that sink in just a little bit. Wow. The mind of Christ dwells within you if you've made that decision. I just find that incredible, so incredible. Back to the parable. We know from chapter 11 that Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's taught in the temple and he's talking to the chief priests, the leaders of law and the elders. Basically, as far as the Jewish faith goes, these are the main guys. So from now on, they're going to be known as the main guys, okay? These are the main guys. And they were afraid of him. This was the week before Jesus was going to be crucified. And Jesus knew this. Without doubt, he knew what was to come. So you can imagine that his mind is incredibly focused. He's not messing about. He's not mincing his words. And part of me asked at that point, was like, why choose parables? Why choose a parable to speak at the very heart of the church that he was there to challenge, the people that he was there to challenge. If you look in Matthew 13, it says, I will, verse 35, I will open my mouth in parables. 
I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. He's already said that's how he's going to speak in parables. But the Jewish people already had a strong oral tradition. They already worked in stories. They used stories to disseminate wisdom amongst them. They had a written text, but they also had a really incredible strong oral tradition. They love stories. So what was he saying to them by talking in a parable? In the very heart of the place he was challenging, he was saying, I understand your language. I know who you are. In fact, more than that, I am part of who you are. I am part of your story. And again, you are part of my story. And they understood that implicitly by the way he was telling a parable in that place. He was always looking at that bigger story. And Jesus was saying to them, you cannot dismiss me because I'm speaking your language and you know it. And that's why they were frightened. If you look at Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, it's in the Old Testament. It's written eight centuries before. And I would encourage you to go and read the whole of Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. But I'm just going to read verse 17. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Doesn't that sound familiar? And yet that's written eight centuries before. And these main guys also knew this story. There was no mistake who Jesus was talking to. Jesus was telling them that this parable was about them and that this was their story. Can you imagine the outrage? absolute outrage this guy is standing in the middle of them and challenging them and they know they can't do anything about it they've got to sit there and they've got to listen to what's being said to them how powerful is that how often do we need to understand the language of the culture that we're being called to so we can stand in that place and challenge. And he did it still with the heart of God because he was God. He did it still in truth and spirit. And they had to sit and listen. And I feel like that's something for us now as well. We need to learn the language that we're being called to use now because that way we can challenge and they will be forced to listen in a way that's never been seen before. Forced is the wrong word, but you get the idea. I love this passage. It's so rich with stuff for now. It's just incredible. So Jesus was challenging them. He was charging them, charging in the sense of entrusting them with something. He was saying, you have responsibilities. You know what you've been called to. You've got centuries before you that say, this is the way. I'm standing in front of you. Come on. And he was passionate about that because he knew by telling a parable, he was saying, change. 
he still was giving out that message of hope that it wasn't too late. You can change. This was a week before. A week before. And you think what he'd already been through. You think what his disciples had already been through. And he was still saying, you are my people. Come on, come on, come on, change. And he's doing the same with us, isn't he? He's absolutely doing the same with us. He's challenging us. What's he challenging you with now? As you've been listening to all the words that have been spoken today, what's he challenging you with now? What's he charging you with? What's he entrusting into your care? What is it? Do you know? And if you don't yet, then the rest of us can pray for you. We can walk with you. But find out what he's entrusting to you. And he's changing us bit by bit by bit by bit. And my prayer is that as you've walked into this service, when you walk out, you are changed because you've been challenged, because you've been entrusted with something, that you've been changed. When you we encounter God, we cannot walk out the same. And it's bit by bit by bit. The glory of God is man fully alive. His desire for us is to be fully alive. Bit by bit by bit. So what's he saying to you right now? What is he saying to you right now? Each and every one of us hear the words of God. Each and every one of us. So we've seen this parable is incredibly rich. You've got the six main characters, the landowner, God, the vineyard, the people of Israel, the farmers, the Jewish religious leaders, the main guys. You've got the landowner's servants. These are the prophets. You've got the son. This is Jesus Christ. The other tenants. Some people believe they're the Gentiles. But what they are is the new Christian communities. We're part of this parable now. We're living in it now. It ends with the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it's wonderful to see. Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our very foundation. Everything has to be built upon Jesus. And that's how it becomes wonderful. That's how we can see signs and wonders in front of us. Because everything, everything is about Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have a way back to the Father. Because of that, we then have the Spirit living in us. The fullness of the Trinity is how we stand in the fullness of what the gospel actually means to us now. I want to be in the full gospel. I don't want to be in parts of it. I don't want to see little bits of it. I want to see everything that God has got for us now. I was born for such a time as this to see his kingdom come, his will being done now. You were born for such a time as this to see his kingdom come, 
his will being done now, not in the distant future, but now. And each of us has a part to play. And part of that are the decisions that you are making now, the choices that you are making now. If you believe, you're making those choices with the mind of Christ. What choices are you making now? What decisions are you making now? Is he speaking to your heart and saying, that decision wasn't quite right, you need to come away from it? Or, whoa, incredible decision, go for it, go for it. Is he breathing life into decisions that you made a long time ago and forgot about? but we're part of you ending up walking here. Hope, hope in the midst of everything. Change, do you need to just turn around? Do you just need to let him just change you where you are? That place of surrender, be still and know that I am God. Be still actually translated means surrender. Surrender and know that I am. Be changed. Allow your decisions to just inhabit his praise as well. If you don't know what decision to make, worship loudly, extravagantly, and then see what decision you make. My prayer for you as we come out of this is that there is a seal placed on your decisions. That when you make a decision now, and you know it's of God, that no man can change that. No circumstance can change that. That your feet are so firmly planted upon the word of God. Your feet are so firmly planted in that sense of his presence around you, that nothing can change that nothing set a seal upon our hearts lord let it be let it be and let us come to know you more and more and more let us not be like those evil farmers but let us be those ones who just go out and declare that jesus is lord no shame for Zion's sake, I will not stay silent. For Zion's sake, I cannot stay silent. For Jesus' sake, I cannot stay silent. Is that what you're growing within you? Thank you, Lord.